Good morning. It's great to see each and every one of you here. And as Dennis, I think, already mentioned and indicated to, we have several of our numbers, and some are back and have been gone, but some are gone who just recently uh, got sick and stuff and traveling. And just reach out to them, let them know, and it's we're very honored to have this family with us. They have quite a history with this facilities we're in. Uh, even from the time it was built. And uh, we, you didn't know this, but you were in God's plan for us to have this today. Uh, okay? I believe that. And uh, sometimes we don't know where things will go. I'm sure in your wildest dreams you never thought, they're going to hold a church service in this house one day. And the preacher's going to stand in the garage and talk to people in the living room and the dining room. So, um through my history of preaching over 40 years and being here, there, in different places, it is interesting to see how things work in God's plan. And I'm a firm believer, all I want in my life, your life, and all a man's kind's life is God's will be done. I'm so thankful that he's given us the Bible so that we have a guideline to go to. Today, this passage of Scripture we're going to work from, we're preaching through, the book of Colossians, but as we go to this and look at this, anyone, those of you who don't know me, those who do know me knows I want the book, the chapter, and the verse. I want to read things for myself. I wasn't born and raised in Missouri, but I tell people, I believe in show me. Show me. I want to see it. I like proof. I want to see where it says it. Because in the religious world today, maybe in the religious world all times, but definitely today, it's prevalent. People just do whatever they want to do and think that's good enough. Well, you know, when I was a kid growing up, six, six of us children, and, you know, if mom and dad didn't tell you you could do it and you did it anyway, uh, it didn't go well. You had to have permission. Well, the Bible is a book that gives you permission. And God, let me make sure everyone knows this, God wants everyone in this room to go to heaven. I mean, he wants that so bad that he let his son come to the earth and be mistreated and spit on and hit and scourged and nailed to a cross and even gave up his life. That's how bad he wants us in heaven. That's how bad God, that's how much God loves us. And so remember that even as we look at this passage a little bit. But I picked a phrase, and I'm using the New American Standard. I picked a phrase here in this context in verse 7, firmly rooted. Firmly rooted. Now, being a guy, when I was a boy who grew up out in Kansas, I know you guys probably don't know this, but there are three trees in the state. No, there are a few trees in Kansas, a lot of open ground, and the wind blows. And if the trees aren't rooted deeply, you know what happens when the wind blows? And there's the trees and the roots standing up because they just were shallow in the ground. Well, you know, you and I can't stand up to the waves of man-made doctrines unless we've got our root deeply planted in the soil of God's Word. So I want to show you a few things here in this passage, if you would. Uh, if you look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, I say this so that no one will delude or deceive or misguide, could be the word, you with persuasive words. Old people always trying to give you all these arguments. If you don't believe me, just watch the news. And not, Now, they might not have any truth, 
but they've got a lot of persuasive words. I didn't say persuasive words of knowledge, just persuasive words of argumentation. And a lot of people get fooled by that. Well, it sounded good. might sound good, but it's not right. And I want you to, as you look at this, he says, see that no one, here in verse 4, delude you. Well, jump down to verse 8, the last verse of the context we're going to look at today. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophies and empty deceit. So here it is. You got to got a God gave you a head and a brain in it for a reason. And that's where to use it once in a while. We're not just to be blindly led and believe every, you know, it's just like I tell people, I feel sorry. I've had people say, well, I looked it up on the internet. If you believe everything the internet says, I got some stuff to sell you. And uh, it just doesn't work like that. And anyone that knows me knows one of the statements I make outside the Bible a lot, and this kind of messes with a lot of people's heads. But if you just turn on the news, I don't care which station you turn on, and you watch the news, now listen to me, this is what I believe. I believe that the weather is the most accurate part of the news. Okay? That tells you what I think of the rest of it, right? I believe, And I do believe it's the most accurate part. And you might laugh about it, but I believe the other stuff is that far out there usually. And so you've got to look and listen and be alert because people will tell you all kinds of things. And if I can, well, you said the Bible says it. Where's it saying? I want to see it. If I tell you something here today and you say, where's it say that in the Bible? If I can't show you where it says it in the Bible, then you just throw that piece of information in the trash. We're going to either go with what God said or we're going to tell you it's just our opinion and it has little to no value. And so we have to remember that. So he talks a lot about this idea of people trying to deceive us, even in the religious world. Now, this is in the first century, within a short time after the church was established. So you don't think it's got better, do you? So let's look at a few passages together. Over here, I'll read a few of them to you. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9 reads this way, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strifes and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. You ever been in a courtroom, listen to a, a lawyer, and lays out all this information? Now, if they're really good, they lay out information, and then they draw a strong conclusion from the information they laid out. But if they really don't have anything to stand on, they got a lot of words that are nothing but a lot of words, and they try to confuse you with all the words. They think the one who speaks the most, if you ever listen to um, a politician, sometimes they say a lot of words, but there's no value. What did they I don't know. They said a lot of words. But I still haven't figured out what they've said. He says you got to watch out because even in the religious setting, you have to you have to look out for that. So as we look at this passage, it becomes... So important to understand that all these things can go all kinds of ways, and we've got to watch foolish controversies. Let's look at another one over in First uh, Timothy chapter one. I like this one. This is the very beginning of First Timothy, verses three and four. He kind of rounds what the book is going to really cover a lot of. But he says, "I urge you upon my departure for Macedonia." that Timothy would remain on at Ephesus, 
so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. You know, it still amazes me. Now, I know it was a long time ago when I was in grade school. You know, things I learned, especially about U.S. history, about the Revolutionary War, and about the Civil War, do you know the things that I learned that are factual, and you could read about them, and you could see what happened, and even there were many statues put up in this country about them. The statues have been torn down to act like they never happened. I know that if you don't learn from your past, you're bound to repeat it. So I didn't say everything in our past is something to be proud of, but it happened. And so don't ignore it and act like it didn't. And I'll tell you another thing. If it happened 200 years ago, I don't owe you for it. I didn't, I'm not that old. I'm old, but I'm not that old. I can't help what my great-great-grandpa did. And since he didn't leave me anything, I didn't gain any benefits from what he did either. So we look at that, but people are always trying to... Well, religiously and even in countries as they fall apart, if they don't understand unity, 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 having those things in common, divide and conquer. So if we can divide them by color, by race, by education, by this, that, or another, and we can decide we're not just, I always tell people, they, we'll get talk about Americans, and they got this specialty American. I said, I'm just a Heinz 57 American. I thought we're all Americans and only Americans. And see, I think the Bible would teach either you're a Christian and only a Christian or you're not a Christian. So I don't need all these extra words on it. What are you talking about? And here I am again. Where's the book, chapter, and verse? That's in the Bible. And so we have to hold on. So he's warning us, watch, because these kind of deceptions come. And if he gives us warnings... And you're going to be a preacher who stands before God's people. You've got to give those same warnings. So look at another one. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16. But avoid. That's a pretty good word, huh? Avoid. You ever drove down the road and there's a pothole in the road and they put a barrier up in front of it? You know why they put that barrier up in front of it? It's a target. You're supposed to run over it and bounce in the pothole. No. It's to warn you to go around it. So when you read avoid in the Bible, yuck, ding, 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 I'd avoid this. Sad. I don't know all that happened behind it, but the fire that swept a bunch of Maui, one of the things they said that didn't happen, no alarms went off. Get out, get out. Didn't know what to avoid. I don't know why that did or didn't. Maybe it came on them so fast there was no, I don't know. I don't, I'm not blaming anyone. But if they could, now if they give you heads up and you stay, whose fault's that? So if I tell you there's a sign there that says, no, there's a pothole and don't hit it, and you knock the sign down and drove through the pothole, you know whose fault it is? Don't blame MoDOT for that one. But anyway, so we have to realize the importance of what this is. So this is important verse here in verse uh, 16 here. He says, but avoid empty, worldly and empty chatter, for it leads to further ungodliness. Empty chatter. I'll tell you a story. It happened a long time ago. 
when we lived in Alaska and the kids were going to school and went to a, a meeting, a school meeting with a new superintendent moved up there and the guy, his whole system started out west and crept up from California and stuff and then you guys dealt with it nearly a decade later here, no child left behind. And so I asked, I just raised my hand and asked a question to this new superintendent and he talks for about 10 minutes. I don't know what he was talking on, but he never answered my question. So when he gets done, and he, I said, excuse me. I said, I asked this question. You said a lot of things, but you never answered my question. Can you please answer my question? And the old superintendent, who's now a suit, set up, and I know he told him, this guy's not going to leave you alone. <laughs> so, because he and it's just like, answer my can't you just answer the question? I, you know, when you don't do that, I think you're dishonest because you won't even give me an answer. And so you look at that, it says you got to watch a bunch of empty chatter, a bunch of noisemakers. you got to watch that. We've got to understand that leads the wrong way. So jump back over to Colossians 2 real quick, and we'll jump to back up to verse 5 and 6, because the context we're looking at starting in verse 4. For even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good, my numeric standard says, your good discipline and stability or steadfastness, of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Good discipline and stability. Good discipline. I don't know why, but someone had sent me something on Facebook to me, and it had a bunch of pictures. It was something about the depression and the struggles of living through the depression. And that would really be my, my parents were children during that. My grandma and grandpa were young adults through that. So I learned a lot from them about that, and I still can't hardly fathom what they had to deal with. But one thing I noticed, I looked at lots of pictures. This person must in this must have had 20 pictures of people during depression. You know, there wasn't one fat person there. You know, when you can't get enough to ever fill your belly, you don't have any big middle section. I mean, you barely got enough to eat to stay alive. So I think about that, and this is what gets me when in the numeric standard it says good discipline. We're the epitome of good discipline, aren't we? Uh, maybe not. We don't always eat well. We don't always sleep right. We don't always exercise right. We can lack discipline in so many areas. We can lack discipline in... Um, all areas of life, but Christianity would demand good discipline, and then it demands stability, stable people, people you can count on. I like people you can count on. I like people, when you call them, they're going to be there for you. They're going to be who they said they're going to be. If they tell you they're going to be there at a certain time, they're going to be there, or you know something big happened because you can count on them. They're stable. Those are pretty small things, but the Bible would hit on that a lot, um, one of my favorite passages on that, and I'm turning because I want to go to one after it, but uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, uh, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What's that mean? Be accountable. Be there. Be a hard worker. I don't know. I talked to, maybe it's because I'm getting old, and so a lot of people I talk to are old too. You know, it's, hard, it's getting harder and harder to find people that will work hard at their job. 
there's a lot of people that think they ought to be paid the same for sitting and watching that they would be for swinging a hammer. Now, since your dad and husband built this house, he didn't do it sitting in a chair out in the yard. No, I know. I mean, he's swinging a hammer. He's, some things are happening. There are going to be even some little cuts on him at times. There are going to be calluses on his hands, all those things. You know what? Because he worked. Now, this isn't primarily talking about building a house and working that way, but Christianity demands work. My dad, because he was my first employer, owned a body shop, and I used to think he just told me this because I was working for him. But he told me you need to be proud if you're a hard worker, and then he told me this, a little hard work never hurt anybody. No, but a lot of it does. But no, a little, and his point being, just get in there and get it done. need to be known as those who are stable and work hard. And then I think about stability. It's from the time I sang a little song that the idea really comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. The foolish man built his house on the sand, and the wise man built his house on the rock. If you look at that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew 7, it'll tell you there's only one difference in that context between a wise man and a foolish man. They both heard the truth. That's not the difference. The wise man did what he heard, and the foolish man heard it and didn't. You think about that in the Bible. So God thinks people who hear the Bible, read the Bible, study the Bible, and then do what it says, they're wise, and their house won't crumble. But he says the foolish man, he knows it, but doesn't live according to it. Knows it, but does nothing. So jump back to Colossians real quick. I want to back up to some verses earlier in Colossians here real quick with this idea of being stable, being disciplined. Colossians 1, uh, verses 22 and 23. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If... You continue in the faith, firm, established, steadfast, and not moved away. Wow. Sound like a rock, don't it? He said he'll take care of you if he can count on you. You know, there's a lot of times people want to count on God, but they know God can't count on them. How's that going to work? 